Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy to, that you're here tuning in today as we sit down and talk with John Scott, the legendary John Scott, and his beautiful wife, Julia Grant Scott. We are talking about all kinds of things, starting with their marriage, their union, uh, culture, clans, um, how ancient rituals affect us even today. We're going to talk about being an actor and what that's like, because Julia Scott has been an actor or an actress her whole life, pretty much, and that's an area that um, we connect with how we actually all are in the world, identifying with these false personalities and these false egos and maybe how even this misidentification of ourself is leading to the destruction of our planet. Can we heal it? I don't know. You're going to have to find out by listening to this episode. The episode does end a little bit abruptly as we ran into a few technological problems, but <laughs> alas, it's still an hour and a half. We tried to keep it short. Impossible. Um, it's a whole part two that we need to record because we were just starting to get going. It felt like um, our conversation could have lasted another hour and a half at least. So I hope you feel the same way as you sit down by the proverbial campfire of this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Google or wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, join in on this beautiful conversation with this lovely couple. And before we get started, I just wanted to let you know of something very exciting that's coming up and I hope that you'll join. I'm opening up a free five-day breathwork challenge. We're going to be diving into the pranayama practice, uh, looking at different breathing exercises you can use to increase your energy, decrease anxiety and overwhelm and brain fog and help you sleep better at night. So if that feels like you as you head on into the beginning of the school year, uh, summer's coming to an end and you're feeling like, oh my God, where did the last year go? We're heading into the home stretch and I really want to get, you know, my focus in gear. I want to feel energized. I want to get into my practice and and refocus on my self-care or refocus on um, getting better sleep so I can do more in less time and feel good at the end of the day. If this is you, if you're like, how do I do all this? You know what? The tools are free. It's something you already do all the time, but maybe you don't bring uh, awareness to it. Maybe you're not making an intentional space in your day to just sit down and use your breath as a tool. Control your breath, control your mind, control your energy, get more time back and uh, experience a richer, wealthier, healthier life. So I hope you'll join me. You can find the link on the show notes and on my website, uh, harmonyslater.com backslash five day ancient breathing challenge. Um, and yeah, I hope that to see you there. I hope that it will be something of value and benefit for you. And one 
other small reminder, there's only two weeks left for you to join my Inner Circle membership. So if you'd like to practice with me, um, it's a very minimal financial commitment and you'll get to join our private WhatsApp group, our private Facebook group, as well as um, weekly Mysore classes with me, monthly conferences and philosophy conversations, as well as a monthly pranayama chanting class. Uh, we're doing it all inside the Inner Circle membership. So everything's recorded. Um, there's also recorded guided classes in there and workshops and lectures. Uh, philosophy talks. There's all kinds of things inside. I hope that you'll join and become a member today. So uh, that's what I have going on over here, but let's find out what John and Julie are doing in this week's Finding Harmony podcast episode. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm very happy you're here today because we are joined with special guests, John and Julia. This is a big one. It's a big one, yeah, huh? It's nice. Not to say that other guests aren't big, but this is this is um, this is a very special episode. Yeah. Because I don't have too much expectations. It's <laughs> <laughs> always good advice, right? Well, well thank you for joining us yeah. though. It's a very, it's a special blessing for us. I know you don't do this very often and, and we really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it's been a long time and I do remember you, Russell many years ago um, briefly harmony um yeah the paths have always been crossing and mm -hmm. I think in the yoga world i used to always wonder why did mr ayanga and patabi joyce never spend any time together <laughs> yeah well i think they hated each other didn't they <laughs> put put any differences apart on the side we're all too busy. For example, Lino Miale and I spent a lot of time together in Mysore. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen Lino for many years mm. Yeah. as well. It's just because we all have such busy schedules. Yes. Busy yes. lives. And so um, we're all, you know, humans being. <laughs> doing. Yeah, humans being. Human doings. Yeah, yeah humans doing. <laughs> Yeah, but it's been nice. It's been nice to have when paths do cross. And I think the last time our paths crossed was in Goa back in 2019. On the beach. We saw you randomly on the yeah. beach. That's right. Yeah. We're all wearing far too little clothing. <laughs> it was My parents were there. Don't, yeah. say, don't say you don't miss it. I do. <laughs> we just live like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had the I, the impression, Julia, that you were Polish when we met. Did I get that wrong? You're you're a Scot. Um, I'm everything. Uh, I'm everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Kazakhstan and I was living there for two years. Oh, Kazakhstan! Oh, there's a surprise. Ooh, ah. <laughs> so I was born in Kazakhstan and I was living there for twenty years. So I was raised in this Central Asian country where the which is which was the part of USSR in this point and then I moved to Poland and when oh. I was I started to learn this language and when I was 16 basically I moved that oh. is a story and I moved myself oh yeah yes the guptasek amerikanski I'm a little stupid American <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, well, I have to say that in Polish it sounds very nice. In English, not so good. I'm a very, I'm a little stupid American boy. Yeah, that was a uh, my fiance's nickname for me. That's what she how she um, referred to me to her friends. Uh, this is uh, Guptasek. <laughs> it's not very Polish. Normally, Polish women are much nicer. No, she wasn't. Uh, she would sometimes. She was moja moja kohamsha. You know, she would say my little lover. You know, but mostly it was Guptasek is how she called me. Yeah. <laughs> really uncommon for Polish people, for Polish women, yeah. I have to say, because one of the greatest things, one of the greatest things I learned from Polish women, especially the caring uh, <laughs> of the man and caring for their families, it's incredible. They're huh. very generous. Huh. Well, that wasn't my impression. <laughs> <laughs> How long did you live in Poland for? It's basically seven years. Oh, you see? You see, I'm caring. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Is that, sorry, how many was that directed at me? No, Ju Julia, you moved to Poland and then, yeah. I was living here seven, seven years. But I haven't really lived here. It's been, it's been like a hub. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, where we come back and change our suitcases. Yes. I mean, for me, it's very much home, in a sense. Yeah. I made decision that this is the most home I know from all homes. Mm. When we were visiting Kazakhstan, it changed so dramatically in terms of when I was living there, it was multi multicultural uh, society. It was 140 nationalities living there. Wow. Even we all were joined to one language, which was Russian, in fact. But no one asked you, like, what nationality are you? We all all were mixed, like Koreans, uh, Ukrainians, Uzbeks. Like there are so many people, Germans. There were so many people from Germany who were uh, sent after the Second World War. So people were really, really. It was multicultural, I have to say. And now mm -hmm. we came and it's becoming like there's good things about independency of Kazakhstan because it became sovereign but also there's a kind of a protection that now i want to be only me you know like and and it's kind of kind of a monocultural and i think it lost some of its vibrancy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. for me i have this missing element the, the nature is too incredible Kazakhstan is very beautiful and it reminds me for example we had we have a canyon that calls charin and it's absolutely like a Grand Canyon, but a tiny, tiny version. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing! You were in, you were invited to go to Kazakhstan to teach yoga, and I was I pushed so hard because I wanted to go so badly. I thought it would be just incredible to go to Kazakhstan. It didn't work out. Didn't work out. No, no. <laughs> mm. well, the story is that Julia's great great grandmother was um, romanced by a Scotsman <laughs> who was the first one to put um, telegraph poles. Yeah, so my great-great-grandfather, uh, Mitchell Grant Stewart, Stewart. Mm -hmm. oh, I always mix the, the surname. 
It's a properly Scottish name. My goodness. No, he he was he actually was one of the first men who created the Gobi Desert map, and he went oh, to wow. this uh, desert on his wooden leg. Wow. I I find it incredible, you know, that people were doing things that now won't come from our mind, you know, it becomes Mm. comfortable. Yeah. He was putting the posts, the telegraph posts from Russia to China. Mm. On the way, he met my great grandmother, Varvara. She was Russian. Mm. And yeah, they. They fell in love with one another. He had to come back to Scotland, but said he's going to come back in a year, and he did. Wow. This is how the Russian-Scottish lineage happened, and then it became Polish-Scottish and Jewish. So it's, that's why I'm saying I, I let myself say I'm everything. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Wow. So you're now truly, literally... And figuratively, a Scot. Yes. Uh, so Julia made a full circle. Yeah. We yeah. were able to, through the Polish administration, at the, at the time of changing our name, Julia managed to get Grant brought in. So <clears throat> Julia's surname is Grant Scott. Mm-hmm. But together we are John and Julia Scott. And yeah. so what we've done is we've, we've actually united two clans the Scott clan and the Grant clan. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of yoga, that's a lovely union because um, we each have a motto and, a, and, a, and a, an emblem. And my emblem and motto is Amo, I love, and it's a beautiful deer. I love it. Yeah. And Julia's motto is Craig Alasher, which is uh, the name of a mountain where the, the Highlanders stood fast and they signaled with fires that the, the, the invasions were happening. Oh, cool. So we combined the two together. We made our own signet ring. And we combined, oh, we combined the, the mountain with the deer and put them together, and we, we, we now have Amo, um, uh, stand fast together in love. That's amazing. I love this story. And you also... You I want a signet ring. <laughs> <laughs> and... I, I've bought you many, many rings. And you, you, and you, you, cl- you made a hand clasp as well in your, in your wedding. We also, we also had to do that because we live in the yeah, Scottish, the we, we live in a Scottish colony here in Alberta. Calgary, I guess, is some kind of Scottish uh, village. Uh, and they, they came here and they made a city out of it. And so when we got married, we had to have our hands wrapped together. We didn't have to. We chose. No, no, to. we have to have. We have to. We're tied, and and then we had to, we had to tie that to the bedpost. Well, you don't have to put it on your bedpost. And she told us if you have any problems, just un untie the knots. And I said, I don't know what that's going to help. No, with. but also when you <laughs> overcome great difficulty, then you tie new knots. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we we're it's some kind of Scottish, you know. Right, some ancient. Yeah, it's a tradition. Ancient. Um, we have a we guild. Have a, we have a really good story when we, we did a bit more. So we wanted to uh, make cut. a cut. 
so we wanted to have a connection. <laughs> nice. That's all that we should have done that. No, we're yeah. not doing that. <laughs> yeah, we can still do it, right? <laughs> Anytime. Yes. Yeah, so we create the blood connection, which is yeah. connection on a so we level. cut first, then put them together, then we're bound. God Beautiful. <laughs> well, wait a second. It's, it's not the end of the story. John <laughs> went to the special Japanese shop to buy a really sharp knife. Yeah. So, it won't be so painful. And that wasn't a sharp knife no. at all. Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, can you imagine the tension when you try to cut your beloved's hand? <laughs> I thought I was a little bit thick-skinned, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a beautiful God. John's trying to cut and I'm like... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Eventually we did it, but it was like... <laughs> oh, Digging no. in. No, I, I think if I would allow Harmony to pass that threshold of violence, it wouldn't stop. <laughs> it, would, it would just be... <sighs> nice i like i like i that can tell that you like, I, really like this. Yeah. I totally understand you mm. <laughs> I totally understand you. that's beautiful these ancient these ancient rituals are are kind of amazing i i love the, the ancient rituals from like all different cultures i think they're so well this is what special. we love about going down to south america yeah yeah because it's all alive yeah, yeah. the rituals yeah alive. yeah it's all ritual is all there already yeah. Same with uh, Mexico. In Mexico, it, the the current generation are really honouring the elders, and so mm-hmm. even just a fire ceremony is beautiful to have. Yeah, and that's what we we long for now too. Is instead of having the television screen, instead of having the Zoom chat, mm-hmm. it's sitting around the fire and telling stories. So we have. We, we, we had one jungle retreat in Mexico where we actually sat around the fire and was able to, to share stories. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful evening. Yeah. Really beautiful it's it's evening. nice to see that we always have something to say and something to share. The only thing that we need is a permission on the other side. We need yeah. a permission. And then the magic happens. I wonder if I, if I can ask a... <clears throat> this is might be slightly rude i'm not sure um but i i wonder if growing up in in new zealand I, i'm wondering about your parents john if if maybe you came from like a nice middle class scottish family in new zealand and surrounded by these ancient maori tribal cultures and found yourself drawn to a, a tribalism to something maybe more organic and less suburban. I, I wonder if that's a fair characterization, knowing nothing about how you grew up. Well, <clears throat> maybe working class okay. rather than middle class, because my, my grandfather was at 16. He was in the coal mines. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so my mom has photographs of, of when she was a child of them living in a caravan, you know, the classic um, so right, like almost like gypsy is, type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, We'd call that a trailer home in yeah. Florida, Martha. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so my, my parents were in that escaping the poverty mm-hmm. of, of Scotland 
when they immigrated, they first went to Australia. So my sister was born in Australia. Okay. Oh. And I may have been conceived in Australia because I was born very soon after their arrival back in, in, um, in when they moved to New Zealand because my mum's mother and father had already immigrated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, um, this might sound surprising, but my mum, she was a mum mum that also had little part-time jobs, and one of the part-time jobs was picking tomatoes. And, you know, like went real picking real tomatoes in the real days. Yeah. And she, of course, was then one of her best friends was, I, I can't remember her name, she was a Maori woman. And what mum really liked was that the two cultures were similar. Mm. Interesting, mm. yeah. How so? I mean, the Scottish. The, yeah, the, the Scottish and the Maori. So not the not the English New Zealand, but mm-hmm. in terms of clans, in terms of families, in terms of right. tri- that tribal thing. Maybe tradition. Yeah. So, so, so um, and also, I, I go back far enough to be pre the the resurgence of reclaiming identity again. So that, at that time, we were just all kids together. So obviously I also had best friends who were Maori, so there was no separation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah so nice. It, the, the separation only, only started to come as you went further into the academic world. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Do you feel like it's now like everywhere, like this, it's sort of more separate than before? Well, even in the No, the Maori world? people, were they were never... The Maori people were, as a as a people, were never. Um, they never lost to the British invasion. They signed mm-hmm. a treaty. Okay. And so, in that signing of that treaty, there was also a lot of land that was left as Maori land. Mm-hmm. And so, the the Maori people that in, in the resurgence time now, like so, in all of the social networks all of the tvs radios and all that they speak both maori and english and they, right they greet and, and, and they say yeah. hi, my, hi, my. so they'll, they'll, they'll talk in maori and so maori is now taught at school when i was at school there wasn't any maori taught at school okay but so it, it's come back that there's a, a real strength and um they uh Maybe might like the like what what we value in South America and what we value in in, in, in Mexico is that mm-hmm. the indigenous people are really mm-hmm. the ones that are going to save the planet mm-hmm. in terms of making that link and connection back to Mother Earth and the appreciation to Mother Earth. I think in in the simple words, they just not they never went so far from Earth, so they have survival skills that contemporary people just lost because we have different values mm-hmm. so i'm not sure if we can call it intelligence i think if you can live with the nature this is a real intelligence mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it's so important i i have this uh sometimes i have this fantasy of, of how things will go in the next you know say five or ten years and it's always sort of a little apocalyptic <laughs> <clears throat> and i'm imagining you know like hordes of these barbaric 
Americans coming north to Canada with their guns looking for our water, you know, and the whole society breaking down and imagining like, I imagine all of these sort of, um, these survivalists, you know, with, with their camping gear and their guns and they're all holed away with their tin cans trying to live. But I, I think probably what's more likely to happen is that when, when people can organize themselves socially, even with less resources, like those are the, going to be the real survivors, people who can work together. Yeah, it's a big unknown. It's really hard to say in a sense. Uh, you know, what we create in our minds very much becoming truth. So yeah. John and I were both not the fans of the movies of, you know, we, we're just getting used to a apocalyptic version of everything. Like one of the last movies we were watching also, Don't Look Up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw that. Like, basically, yeah, it says about what... Um, what can happen and where the green green us, but mm-hmm. is, is there any change also? Like what we can really do, what we can really do together, you know, because mm-hmm. they can be brought in a very simple way if there's someone who really um, can connect the people because there's so many of us wants the change. But the diversion or let's say our separation doesn't let it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I still, I, we still very much believe in humanity that mm-hmm. we survived so many things. And we hopefully, we, you know, there's one thing I think that's very important. We criticize ourselves so much in terms of like who we are, what we do, how bad we are for, um, for Earth and so on. And it creates also very bad feeling about ourselves but if we're gonna embrace actually who we are and see how much beautiful things humanity created Mm. that would be much better stepping stone to make to make something positive because if you think you're not good for 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 this earth what can you do it's like there's a beautiful story of what's his name benedict beautiful there's, there's a very short movie of a man who Deepak Chopra called uh, Wikipedia of uh, near-death near experience. Oh. And, and he had a near-death experience where he saw that he created the cancer himself because basically he felt that the, that the humanity is like a cancer of the earth. Mm. He started to see himself as a cancer. And mm. at that point... When he had a review of his life, because basically when you, apparently, there are many versions of that. When he died, he saw a whole review of his life. And, and once... Point, and the point. And the point where his cancer was created was when he said that humanity is a cancer. So depending on how we think and with what, how gentle we are in our thinking about ourselves, this is what we create. And mm-hmm. what can truly change many, many things. But if there can be also one mind that can be very dangerous for itself and then can create total destruction, pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it starts from every one of us. I think that embracing humanity is a real answer at that point. 
Yeah, it's more, it's so much more motivating too, right? When you're seeing the beauty and building on the positive, then it creates that momentum to really change. And like you're saying, if you're just focused on, you know, how terrible everything is, there's really no energy there to want to change or do anything. You feel like, oh, it's already hopeless or over. We probably all have been there. Yeah, we learned that when we just... Yeah, started to feel, but all, like if if we connected to our, our own suffering, just closing in that, there's nothing, not nothing can help. We can do nothing with that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm. Mm. Well, hopefully, we'll <laughs> hopefully we'll have a good ending. Yeah, I, I think probably species collapse is where we're, we're at. It's just, yeah. well, <laughs> sometimes it's gonna, it might get a lot worse before it gets better. I don't know. <laughs> The unknown mm-hmm. is an incredible thing. We really don't know. Now we can you, have, you can have so many scripts yeah. and none of it will be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a I think that's a interesting sort of overlap of yeah. yoga too, right? Is how um how it like allows us to rest in that unknown and be okay with the unknown. And also the observation of the mind, how we realize like our mind, our thoughts are really creating our interpretation or our uh, interaction with reality. And so I feel like the practice is really helpful for navigating these, these, you know, uncertainties in life. Absolutely. Keeps us, keeps us grounded. Keeps us grounded. And as Julia says, keeps us with on the positive. because when you're in the uncertainty or the unknown the magic of that is that you can always create yeah rather rather than repeating yeah yeah it's difficult sometimes though i think we have a pattern of like being a victim even like in our own lives sometimes and that like as you say like claiming that power to create and that like ownership of of our lives, I think is really important and really, um, yeah, sort of like this interesting thing that we don't like. We're not really taught in schools. We're not really. No one really teaches us that. You know, some somehow we have to learn it on our own. And yeah, yeah how did you guys learn it? I mean, you obviously have. So well, many, nobody ever teaches you anything. Uh, perfect. <laughs> At school, you're only programmed. Yeah. In life, you're going to have to teach yourself through the self-experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So and there are as many... a student, to ask that question or to say, but no one ever showed me that or no one ever told me that or no, yeah. you've got to go, well, that's you. It's your responsibility. When you talk about taking ownership, you have to take total ownership, which is self-responsibility, to realize that you're connecting to your own inner experience. And that's where the teaching happens. Yeah, I think one of the beautiful things about yoga that it's not it's not atheism, so you don't disclude yourself from, from God, whatever the God is, but you find in your own sovereignty and the connection with yourself. And you start to observe, because I think one of the most beautiful things which I actually caught myself today again on was I was counting, and then I forgot the numbers, and then you 
but I'm thinking. Yeah. Either I'm thinking. The thing is, like, where does it take me? What I'm taking, you know, you you see the rubbish that you basically create in your head. Mm-hmm. It would be hard to imagine that you don't you don't have this observer, someone who, someone in yourself, who actually says, "Look, what are you doing to yourself?" That is what practice gives you that possibility of observation. Whatever you're gonna do with that, there's like a different step. But it you're starting to see your own loops. If you really start to, I, I, I've been able to really observe people looping during the, the their journeys when they were working with the medicine, when they were working with ayahuasca. Because before, like I didn't know what is loop, but I saw physically that mind created a loop, and then that point now the medicine working to get you out of the loop. So you you literally going through the same words, for example, like a washing machine. Mm-hmm. Repeating it, repeating, repeating, and then you take it out. And it, this is like cleaning in the program. Mm-hmm. So th- that was absolutely educational. <laughs> Th- that was incredible and that's why it's this is what we can do also in yoga but the process is much more subtle and much more it takes much more time mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if i'm i'm stuck in a loop myself on an apocalyptic version of <laughs> The future, but I I have this sense of like a like this problematic dynamic that um, that a, a that we have a utopian past of tribalistic societies living communally together. Perhaps there's ritualistic violence between between tribes, but there's a there's a sense of purpose and and belonging to nature when there's only like. 500,000 human beings on the planet rather than than 7 billion and and so i i've struggled to to kind of hold in my head this this utopian vision of how human beings can live in balance with with this other notion that we're of evolving as a as a species and we're evolving with yoga and self-understanding and development but how how can we evolve and maintain this population? And I I, I don't. It seems that, that the that an overpopulation will lead to uh, population species collapse. But that would be quite a good thing. To you know lose seven billion people, we could afford to lose seven billion people. And then somehow, how out of the wreckage, recreate this this beautiful loving tribe of human beings you 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 have not as dead of that one why why do <laughs> again it's the it's the uh, apocalyptic loop that his brain is stuck in is that we don't know you know is it all planned in a sense very much i very much believe that the way it goes it's exactly how it should be but we mm-hmm. can't see it Mm-hmm. We can't we can't see why we have to go through that moment, and probably every human being now asking why we're here, mm-hmm. why we're going through that. But yeah. I think what we don't understand is that 
through us, the consciousness is learning. It's not mm-hmm. the being going as individuals and not only people. It's a consciousness of humanity going through this experience. Mm-hmm. Do, would, we, will we, would we have to all die? Or will be able to survive that? You know, it's a really, really big question. The only thing that I really think and trust that we are in the right moment where we're just becoming a consciousness. From one side, there are so many hard things happening. What's happening with the soil, with the water, with the pollution. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's touching all of us, you know, even if we're not talking about all, all the time. But every time you put in the plastic bottle, I'm thinking like, how is the hell? How it still exists? Like how mm-hmm. we can't stop it? Mm-hmm. You know? Why? Why we're here? But in the, in the other, from what other perspective, the thing that we can communicate so much that we can connect on a different level that mm-hmm. people are not in such a survival. Though it's still, you know, there are some other aspects of contemporary economics that are we're not embracing. And we, mm-hmm. hopefully we're going to come back to that when we are leaving because there's many, many programs that doesn't work, that don't work for the family. Right. Lately, I, I met my really good friend who really wanted to become a mom. And I met her and she was in a really not a good in, internal space. And I said, mm-hmm. what happened Do you? How is it to be mom? And she looked at me and she absolutely honestly said, it's one of the most beautiful things in the life. It's the most mm. beautiful thing. But it's so inhumane that we love that. Yeah. Because it takes a whole village to create a life, to create a human. Mm-hmm. There is only two humans who are holding that life. It's, it's really hard. So we, I think we somehow we will come back to that. Mm-hmm. communal living which I'm thinking about moving uh, to we might be able to create something more communal in our life we'll see for now we have already our community and just very soon we're going to Sardinia where our dear friend is Daniela is opening a shala so we will be able to support the opening yeah. of the shala I think this this word apartments <laughs> this 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 notion of an apartment is a problem that we live apart. Yeah, it's a really beautiful word. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not not yeah. helpful. Mm. Yeah, apart. Mm. Thank you. I didn't all of the words, uh, <sighs> all of the words are spells, Russell. Yeah, they're all programs. Yeah, are bad spells. I had yeah. difficulty with with English. At school, spelling. Oh! Because <laughs> they're casting spells on you. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you have a look at all of the words, all of the words can be turned another way. And, and you've just pointed out apartment is, is literally that. Mm-hmm. Because you can, look, you can live in a block of apartments and not even know your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how can you raise children that way? Personally, I feel that we, we have such a big ego, humans. Mm-hmm. Let's say human beings have such mm-hmm. a big ego. When we're just being human and being our natural selves, then we coexist along with nature. 
-hmm. When you're living with nature, as in nature, you see that everything is abundant. So mm -hmm. here we are right now, uh, mid-spring in Poland, and to see the trees are just full of life, full mm -hmm. of productivity. There's, a, there's total abundance. You take the human being out of the equation, and there's nothing wrong with the planet. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have such an ego to think that we're destroying the planet. We're just making it more uncomfortable for ourselves. Yeah. Mm. I think the planet is full of life. No matter how much it's going to be ruined in terms of its oceans and rivers with all of the chemicals that we've been putting into it, she'll clean it. Yeah. Mm. And, and the only we might be in the process of cleaning as well. <laughs> but if we, the more that we realize that we've got to stop the doing stop the being and just be human if we can just be human like everything else then we then we don't separate ourselves out from all of the other animals mm -hmm. other animals called a dog being or a cat being yeah it's mm -hmm. a human being so there's that word again apartment mm -hmm. yeah we're separating ourselves the human being so, mm -hmm. And this is our problem. We've all been programmed to be something in our being. Mm. And that has separated ourselves away from our natural self. Mm. Mm -hmm. I, th I think about these stories that I hear about Chernobyl and what a utopia Chernobyl is for the animals now. Yeah. They're really, it's really like a, a paradise for them. <laughs> they, yeah. you know, they, they don't have to live very long, so they don't get these these cancers but they they are procreating like mad and they're uh, you know they're they're in a balance of of nature there yeah you see that this you you mentioned two things that from one side what we heard also that the nature is safe there because there's no human almost mm -hmm. there's some entrepreneurs who really like to <laughs> get into that area that's true but from another side uh the Certain patterns in the nature were disturbed there, mm -hmm. and you can see it. You can see it in the bugs. You can see on the birds how mm -hmm. still the species are fragile. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love I love that 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 idea, John, that you were talking about, like that that we're told we have to be something, <laughs> you know, because it's. It's something that, um, I don't know, we don't necessarily think about all the time, but we're all, we, we are always either doing something or, or trying to be something, right? And this constant like doing and being in a way is what creates that sense of, of separateness from each other or nature or even from ourselves, like our true self. Yes, I can share a lovely little story. My, my mm -hmm. mother always loved to talk to people. Mm -hmm. and she also loved doing gardening so whenever she was out gardening and people would be passing by she would talk to them and about five or six houses up the hill was a family that had an autistic girl their daughter was autistic and this particular day mum's in the garden and the, um, the girl and her mum are walking past and Mum starts talking with the little girl and talking with the mother. And 
my mum asks the little girl a classic question. And the little girl's name was Justine. And so mum said, and Justine, what, did, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And her reply was, just Justine. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be anyone else when I grow up. <laughs> other than myself. This is not an autistic girl. Yeah? <clears throat> and so some, some part of the brain's been switched off in mm-hmm. the process of autism. Or different. Or different. And, but what was really special was that she was seeing a bigger picture that really, mm-hmm. I just want to be who I am. And that's what we're all striving to do. And the deviation is that we're told to put something else. I and mean, if you listen to Ram Das, he's, he's great about the somebody suit. Yeah. yeah. Mm, <laughs> somebody suit. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I grew up with that, that my mum really didn't have a somebody suit for me to be putting on. So I was really mm-hmm. lucky that, that I had that sort of, that, 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 that I could be Peter Pan and not worry about um, education, but play, really play. Mm-hmm. So in the playing, I managed to to start to, through play and ex- adventure, curiosity, to keep the curiosity and question going. So that's where, for me, the, the deep questions of where, where am I mm-hmm. rather than who am I. Yeah. Yeah more where am I and, and, and then where, where have you come from those are the real big questions rather than getting caught up in the separation of first of all first trying to say who am I or who I want to be or who I want to be yeah. because if also we think about what you already touched that we are consciousness and there is local self and there is not local self and very much we've taken a lot of responsibility and self-judgment of who we're not and who would like to be. Instead of really experiencing what is to be me, what is to be in this suit, what is to explore consciousness through, through these eyes and that nose and these lips and, and so on, because this is this experience of life that we can be given. But it's, the mind is so tricky. It can take you to the place of what you don't have, and then the suffering just suffering is already there. It's like a very very bad seed. Uh, Julie, can I ask you? Are you you're a professional actor? Is is that correct? Still, yeah. I want to ask you. I think we're kind of touching around this notion of of being and wearing clothes and and wearing personalities. I wonder if I could ask you about your craft. And how is it that you act? What do you do? Do you do you put on a a, a costume, or do you embody a, a particular being in a location? Are those two different things? I tell you, I think basically we always <clears throat> acting ourselves in certain so- circumstances. Mm-hmm. Though, because we've never been in the circumstances and the, the you you know never been, for example, um, in some kind of a environment or not having experience of being some kind of a, I don't know, 
doctor, let's say, like because I was I was once a doctor also. You putting yourself in that environment and you start to create this reality around you. This it's one of the most beautiful things because you're creating illusion that never been existed before. Mm-hmm. You're creating something mm-hmm. that you you it's I don't want to say like God, no, because you call you but you're a co-creator of something that never been there. But I think it's always yourself. Though the beautiful thing is that you can always learn something from your uh, f- from your part, from your character, because mm-hmm. it's some um, how do you say? Sometimes I'm losing the words in English. Okay. There's some emotions, or there's some let me find a word. Right. You, for example, you've never experienced some pressure that will take you in that edge that you will react in this only that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe me, never, I've never been there. I don't know how to do it. And this mm-hmm. is a challenge. What's going to happen if I will put myself in that reality? And you also in total unknown because basically what happening on the set is absolute magic. Yeah. You, you, I always say that I'm, Let's say you're writing, you're reading the script, you're taking the script in, it becomes your food. Yeah. You're putting the costume or makeup, makeup and the hairs. And then you go in an absolute unknown, in absolute trust that you will create that reality. And when mm-hmm. all the motion on the set stops and you hear silence, action, you are fully responsible for that moment to appear, for that illusion to be created. And this mm-hmm. is magic because there's no thinking in that time. There's no, mm-hmm. this is what I love so much. I'm not doing it for two years already. I dedicated myself to yoga fully. But sometimes I can't say that I, I don't, I, I would be foolish to say I don't miss it. It's absolute, absolute drug so, um... acting. Dr. Joe Dispenza uses two good terms, play box and thinking box. Mm. And so what Julia is saying is pre-action, silent action, you're in your think box, totally in the think box in terms of what's happening, and then at that moment of action, you're in the play box. Mm -hmm. So from that particular part of movies and acting as being an illusion, it would be lovely for us to be able to do the same in our own life is to get out of the think box and be in the play box to actually play ourselves in that moment, Mm. which would be great. Now, I've also been in the situation where I'm the partner of an actress. And when my actress is then playing a part where she has a husband, this is really, very, very interesting. And so Julia had recently auditioned for a a position and she was given the part and she was preparing for it and so here we are and I'm saying Julia and we're, we're doing stuff Julia where are you Julia and she says I'm with my husband mm-hmm. so the amount of time that they have to be in the think box is huge right. to be able to create that 
in the moment play. Yeah, and it's so huge. And what Julia is also pointing out is that if you just embrace your own life, what life would be like if we could just be in the play box? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's big because and the magic is created is amazing. It's crazy. It's crazy the magic in the moment. Yeah, and taking responsibility for yourself is is big. It's it's in, it, I went for the casting lately for audition after two years, and I thought I just want to see if I still can do it. You know, mm-hmm. you go into these emotions because I'm I'm in yoga. I'm, you know, I feel more balanced. Yeah, and I came on audition, and I like. In total drama, tears, and the casting went very well because I didn't care, and I got the part. Mm. And then I had to think, God, do I really want it in my life? Mm. And it was Netflix, and I had to say no. It took <gasps> oh no! <laughs> Netflix, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. What, would, what would be being someone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understood one thing that I made decision not to take on someone's words it's we we don't understand humans there's a very big thing which is mm-hmm. important everything that we're taking on like there's a cup of cacao this is we we consider that a food but everything we're taking on board words books anything we watch is our food is our food for mm-hmm. the it becomes our reality mm-hmm. if i'm gonna create a drama i'm gonna create a drama that i will go through and someone else on the other side will go through. And I will be responsible for that giving. Mm-hmm. And I will be res- responsible for taking this drama on and then spreading it into the world. And I yeah. honestly think it's it's quite enough of drama in our world. Like, it's so... It, I mean, if you s- see the, what's happening in contemporary uh, television or movie mm-hmm. world, it's I, I'm watching movies from time to time or when we fly and I'm just looking and someone's, you know, I'm writing something and then I need to look for this bit. Because it's like you, you're still a child, yeah? You're like interested in, in the cartoon or you're watching some mm-hmm. pictures. Oh, they run in there. And oh, they're in conflict over there. Mm. Yeah, and what I, <laughs> I just put away, watch the movie and do one thing. And I did it. Mm. And it's such a waste of time. It's again a waste of time because mm. it doesn't really bring anything. Mm-hmm. There are movies which documentaries are great movies to feed yourself. So you will really understand the, that there is something real to take on. But most of the movies are illusion, and now less and less there is something to really nourish you in this. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. what is important. We need to understand that we, especially if you're going to watch the movie in the evening after work, when your brain waves going down slowing and then you're watching something apocalyptic <laughs> you're gonna create you're gonna you probably create you're gonna it you're gonna wire it and then you're gonna recreate it in your dreams and then in the mo- in the morning you will still run that sometimes yeah. runs subconsciously but very often when you stop watching more and you watch movies from time to time you actually see how much you carry from the movie that you watched yeah, yeah? So it's Excellent. just a good thing to to observe how, what is what is really what is a junk food and what is the real food for our brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Tell us yeah. what the food is, Julia. I want Julia to tell us what the real food is. <laughs> the sound. 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 And so most of the sounds that we're hearing is noise. Mm. The music we're hearing is noise, as Julia mm. said, junk food. Mm. It's not about it's not about being uh, not positive, but it's important to understand that every time you go into a cafe and you're just bombarded with the music, it affects your brain. Because what happens is that the sound goes through your ear for, for the very sophisticated mechanism. And it then as an electromagnetic field that gets to your brain. Mm. And if you're not listening to it, it gets even on subconscious level. So basically it's entrainment on many, many levels. And we need to understand that. Now I was on a very beautiful training of the sound. And after one week, I started to hear different sounds. Mm. Wow. And we're talking about yoga. We're talking about nadis. Mm. Yeah. And we're saying that that's 72 energy channels. But nad means sound mm -hmm. or vibration. Mm -hmm. You can hear from, I think, 5 to 20,000 hertz. But there's everything else which we can't hear, but it's around us. So mm -hmm. if we all the time surrounded in the noise, it's a beautiful one of the movies that we can always watch is Matrix. <laughs> because there's something yeah. you can and in the fourth matrix, there's a Naomi, yeah, who's sitting in the uh, not design but a new city which they created, and yeah. and she say to me, "Can you hear it? Silence." Yeah. Is it isn't it amazing how much matrix, uh, how much noise the matrix can pour into your being? It's it's documentary in that sense. It's yeah. documentary. So that's why when we're getting into the nature, we're rewiring the brain, literally. Mm. Because the nature has its harmonic sounds. And it's communicating in overtones. Overtones, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we can create it too, but we forgot that craft. Yeah. So if people would start to sing and create overtones, it's you, you're getting into the center you're getting into meditative state right away. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to think anyway. The same with Nadio or Drupa. If you're doing a training where you're just communicating with your teacher directly and you just copy. So the, the teacher is singing and you repeat and you listen and you repeat and you listen to the and there's no separation. You, you're communicating all the way, even you're not talking. But you're creating at that point and you're really listening. And we say yoga starts from listening. Mm. At that point, you're in a completely different state of mind. Mm -hmm. Do you know this, um, this set of films? It's 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Never no. it's a, There's a fantastic... One of the short films is fantastic. It's, it's uh, depicting... Glenn Gould, who did the Bach, um, the he is an interpreter of Bach <clears throat> on the piano, and he's uh, in his favorite restaurant in Minnesota, and he goes in there and he has the pancakes with ketchup, 
every time. That's He always goes there, say, on a Sunday afternoon to have his pancakes with ketchup, and everyone knows him there, and they just let him be with his pancakes and ketchup. And he sits there, and he listens to the the sound of the restaurant, the silverware, the plates, the the people talking and murmuring, the low the low notes of voices, the high notes of the silverware. And then he he composes his music from what he hears in the ambient noise of the restaurant. And it, it was such a, a lesson for me in, in being that you could go anywhere and craft a a, a composition based on what, what you're hearing just around you and just be a part of it. Yeah. This, this is all... Anything we create is, I mean, in terms of walking, talking, moving, it's all the same natural. It's all harmonious. Also, if I'm talking about the, the, the sounds that are not so beneficial for human ear, is the music that is electronic music that is so-called equal temperament. Mm-hmm. All the natural sound, they don't have an equal temperament. Even our heartbeat doesn't beat equally, even if it's temperament. Mm-hmm. It's the same rhythm. But if you're going to see diagram, it's always going to be a bit higher, a bit lower. Mm-hmm. And natural sounds are like that, all of them. And it's, the only, I, the I, only time it's even is before. Before, well, if you gonna if the human getting a heart attack, this is when the heart gets even. even. Mm. In that sense, it's really not not healthy. Mm. Such sound. But please, Russell, please send us the link to this movie. Oh, sure. Hey, yeah, please, I will. Watch. Yeah. That would be really yeah. good to watch. I'll send it to you. You did yeah. not say 32? I think I said 32. I looked it up as, I, as you were talking about music. So it sounded so much like this. And 32 short films about Glenn Gould. Yeah. Yeah. I I saw it in in college, I think, and I was it was just the most stupendous thing. Like, oh that's how you could you could be you could spend the rest of your life living that way. Just listening to each thing as music rather than something to hate. I thought, oh that'd be better. <laughs> yeah. If if you don't close but you expand and listen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Instead of closing my heart, yeah, I could be in, in a sense, open to it. In a sense, what you, what you refer, I would say, what you're referring to is that one of the John's stories, one of the most beautiful stories I heard from, from my stories, that uh, Tabby Joyce had a afternoon. How did you call it? Not the conference. Conference. Yeah, but we used to be fair. Before conference was a... It's called theory. There's theory. Theory class, yeah, theory yeah. class. And you tell that story. Which one? Story. Well, the God story. Yeah. And whenever Guruji spoke, I always had the difficulty because of his uh, Indian English accent. I was always uh, behind catching up to what he was saying. And one of my favorite stories was when he would be off to Banaras getting prasad. I didn't know whether it was because he would pick up some bananas and bananas and bananas always got confused. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
all of a sudden, I'm sitting there going backwards because Guruji's pointed his finger at me and asked me, John Scott, where is God? And so I'm going, bananas, bananas, prasad, he's, he's done this travel. Now he's asking me, where is God? And before I could sort of catch myself up and get to answer whatever my answer was going to be, he jumped in straight away and he said, you are God. Mm. And so that was that was like a thunderbolt going in there. Um, oh, sorry, before you, before you did that, I <laughs> sorry, I told the story wrong. He hit the floor and said, this is God. Mm. He hit the wall with his hand and said, this is God. Then he pointed at me and said, you are God. Mm. And then, because like it's like a one-to-one -one conversation in a whole group of people, he then said, I am God. And then he went to the audience like this, the rest of the students, you are God. Mm. And so he was saying that everything and everywhere is God. Mm. Uh -huh. yeah. Why are you telling that story? Because this is what Russell is saying, that if we will expand mm. ourselves and we will listen to everything on a clear level, we'll understand that everything is perfect. Mm. But while, while we're getting... While we're, while we're not pure, because we all have so many layers in us which are always in conflict. Am mm. I good? Am I bad? Ego is talking, oh, I did it wrong, oh, but, oh that, that I did well, and so on. And there's like a internal conversations and so on. And we're not tuned at that point now. Mm. When we can be in that moment of life, or we get to that point of samadhi, which is always there. We just need to tune ourselves to receive it. Mm. Everything becomes God. Mm. Everything becomes perfect. We just can't see it on, on, on that level. We can't perceive it in this 3D reality. Mm. I love that you use that word, tuning ourselves to, you know, samadhi <clears throat> or tuning ourselves to this perfection. As Julia says, it's always there. We're just mm. on the right channel. It's always here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We're in the wrong Our channel or we're in the wrong think box. Yeah. Our station's got a lot of static going on. <laughs> and maybe, you know, maybe now we just spin a bit faster and faster till the point where we really start to feel life more and more because there's a point when we feel life when it's hard, we really feel it. Like, oh, this is life. And then there's everything good and like, oh, this is like you, you, you resting, so you don't really feel the life, and then oh my god, this, this is life, you know. You think I'm, I'm always saying that life is a very extreme experience. It is. It's <laughs> the biggest gift you can get in the life in terms of expanding your consciousness. It, no one said it's going to be easy. This is the problem that we so much want to be just happy, yeah. But mm. it just, it just doesn't exist in this one of in this form. And one of the most beautiful things that I learned from. Jonas three gunas, mm. the rajas, sattvas, and tapas, tamas. Mm. And if we don't embrace all this, the tamas, the moment when we're down, also when we experience the hardness of life, or we can't, we 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 won't embrace it, and we're trying to change it. Mm -hmm. Experiencing the very natural way of of nature. Mm -hmm. of, of life itself. When you mm -hmm. now it's 
Now it's Rogers. Everything is in flowering. Everything is just <laughs> creating a life. People are smiling. They're feeling it. They're getting from their wounds here. Mm-hmm. But to, to experience that, they have to go for the winter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sleepy time. <laughs> Sleepy time. I wanted to I wanted to ask you um also about about teaching. Um I'm 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 feel very much enthralled with uh, our conversation and and I'm I feel very like I'm just kind of like uh He's vibrating. moving moving in <laughs> rhythm oscillating to it and I'm I'm reminded that you know, we're talking about being present and being present as, as an actor and, and being, and, but we're also um, teaching as something of a performance as well. And you just recounted a story about Guruji. So you're, you're kind of in a moment uh, performing a story and uh, about Guruji who is also performing a story. And we're all here making a presentation of ourselves for this uh for this stage which is the the zoom platform and and i'm i'm thinking about um i'm trying to find out what my question is i'm going to see if i can get there um about being uh, a yoga teacher on on stage and and of course many times i went to your classes in uh in the uk went to the classes in in penzance with you and and studied with you there's a there's an element there, I think, of 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 performing. Like you are, you are being John Scott on a stage in front of two hundred people. Um, I'm not sure what my question is. Just that there's um, a sense of 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 artifice that you are you are crafting a, a performance for your your group, but you're also trying to model embodiment. You have to do both of these things at the same time. It depends on what stage of life you're in, right? So if you're in the brahmachari phase, that's that's serious. The Jung equivalent to that, which is the stereotype of um, of being athlete. So there's that real athletic period in my in my in so my yoga history. I was very much an athletic yogi and wanting to win. And so mm-hmm. that competition to win and beat myself, yeah, and, and be the best. Then there's the grasta, which is the household phase. So looking back on that is that the, the student phase is it's your duty as a, as a student to fully immerse yourself in your study. Mm-hmm to really soak in all of the knowledge that you can soak in. So that while you're in that household responsible phase, looking after the, providing and looking after for the family and the children, you, your yoga practice goes to the back seat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the Jungian um, stereotype is the warrior. So I also was very much, as a Western yoga teacher at that stage, a warrior. I really warrior. So my, my athlete came in. I also wanted to be the best teacher. I wanted mm-hmm. to, to be popular teacher. I wanted to be all that. So in that stage, 
yes, there was sort of a play or an act or putting on a role. But the magic of the practice that I learned from Fatabi Joyce, which we call the counted method, I've been now counting Akandwe training for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so what, what I've now discovered through the technique of teaching, through the counted method and passing that to students, is there's a point at which you're able to get out of the way. So now in my teaching, I'm more in the statesperson's phase, uh, which is the vanaprastha stage, which is more like the counselor's phase, where what happens is that my ego is no longer seeking to be seen, to be heard, to be noticed. Yeah, I've done the, I've done the athletic and the warrioring work, and I'm now in a place where the method is working in such a way that it removes John out of the way and it then comes through. So it becomes more of a channel. Mm. Yeah, so where I am now, I feel that when I'm in a teaching role, I'm in a place where I'm using the method so that I can be neutral. I don't want to have a bias and let everyone experience through my filters. Mm -hmm. I want my story to be out of the way. Because we're trying to, we're trying to um, brainwash in the other way all of the programming out of people, so that they can then find themselves, yeah, mm-hmm. realize that the story that they've been fed by their parents and their siblings and their, everybody that that's not who they are. And then we're talking about that somebody suit, that somebody, that some person thing, and so. Um, it's really important to realize that the technique and the practice of yoga is to step away or step aside from the ego self, the self-important, selfish self, to find that self-less self. Yeah? When you find the self-less self, then you're in service or you're a conduit, you're, you're channeling stuff through. In that place, you can also then storytell from a neutral place that the story it comes through as a story because we learn best from story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so if, if you look to the history back it, it's through story that we learn but we want the story to be as pure as we can and so in a sense parampara is the story that's been passed on the story the story the story the story that's been passed through the generations of teachers is if that line or that channel opens up when you get out of the way. Mm. Yeah, when you get out of the way, then the parampara flows. Mm. So we need we all need to have the technique. The technique is the whatever the yoga technique you're doing. Um, it all comes down to the breathing and it all comes down to that pranic vibratory whatever it is and so when i'm counting i use the 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 license to call it mantra and so when i'm calling out my vinyasa numbers it's like calling out and repeating a mantra Mm -hmm. repetition repetition of the mantra is what cleanses or purifies the unnecessary story so the real story can flow Mm -hmm. Yeah, the real play can play. Mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, when I'm just listening to John, I think the words are very important, how we name them. And the getting out of the way, I think, is much more precise than saying I'm channeling because it becomes so esoteric. I'm now I'm channeling this. You know? mm. Lately, we were also on the workshop that wasn't the best workshop, and <laughs> I will keep it private. <laughs> uh, or was it and how it happened? But basically, the, the, the person who was holding the workshop at one point said, I will channel the sound, will sit in, in front of me, and I will channel sound into me. And that becomes very concerning for me because I'm my own channel. I don't need anyone to channel into me. Mm. Keep it clear. I can receive the wisdom from you and then interpret it in my way. Mm. But we need to be really, especially in that small, let's say, spiritual community to, to also preserve our energy and don't give away you know, because it's so easy to say, oh, I know nothing, I can do nothing, I give everything, and you just make a god for me, you know, like, yeah. make me a channel, your, your own channel, just again, tune yourself. Mm-hmm. If you have a teacher who, who can get out of the way, you have more possibilities to do it, because you, you're learning from people who want, who, from who you're not gonna, you might carry the wisdom from the teacher, but not necessarily an ego because the ego won't help you on the way you have enough of your own ego if you're going to take on board your teacher's ego god it's going to be like too much it's going to be too much struggle in the life this is the thing yeah but at the same time who am i to to say you know everyone has have its own way i can just share my my own experience because that was like you know Let's say I said, this is definitely what I would not like our people who come into us to experience with that, that I'm, I'm a channel and mm. I'm going to receive the knowledge, you know, it's, it's, I think it's lack of respect to people who, who come into you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that you bring that up because I feel like it's, it's really relevant um, for like also the time that we're in, especially like as an experience um, of like a female perspective as well, because I feel like a lot of times women tend to take that role more of like, you know, being that sort of receptive um, vessel, I mean, physically and metaphysically, where we're sort of opening ourselves and saying, oh, just fill me or just lead me or just guide me. Right. And being like kind of helpless and and looking to everyone else for opinions and ideas and leadership. And and I think what you're saying is so strong and powerful because, you know, especially from like that female perspective, I think that's what we're seeing in sort of the the recent sort of evolution of our our society, even with women saying, no, actually, I can be my own channel and I don't need to just like be this helpless person who needs male leadership in life you know it can be from it can be men i saw it in men for sure. men and it, yeah but for sure for for women maybe we even more vulnerable in that sense but i think so the, the cultural and religious heritage that yes. we received takes the god outside so yes. in the sense you're coming to the church to connect with the god you're not carrying it inside Mm-hmm. which is nonsense if you're a child of 
God. Yeah. 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 You don't need anyone to channel the God into you. you yeah. You're part of it. You're part of this sacred consciousness that we can experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so, it's beautiful to just the way that you sort of summed it up that way. And I think it's such an important point to like, <laughs> yeah, it's such an important point. Claim your own sovereignty. And it's important yeah. when people are coming to you, like to just to, to, to understand that you're not coming mm. to, to be a sheep. You're coming to get a knowledge, a wisdom, and to create, to be a creator of your reality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if people are only coming to the classes to receive and turn off, to be on autopilot, you know, it's a bit like watching a movie. I, I had a really good conversation lately with a friend in New York and, and she said beautiful things. She said, you know, I'm working all day. It's, it's very intelligent woman, incredible. And I, I just want to watch a movie in the evening. Mm-hmm. Just turn off. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could say, you know, that life is very short. <laughs> and it's, it's like, it's a bit like you don't want to, yeah, I remember myself that you don't really like to do certain things, but you do them because you have an exchange of energy, which is money. And then you go into the shop and you buy yourself something because you deserve it. Mm. Because I did my work. I didn't like it so much, but I deserve to have that thing instead. And this is mm. certain very false gratification. I think with, with movies, it's the same. I work my day all day. I, I was doing what I didn't like, and now I'm going to watch my Netflix. I mm-hmm. And then another thing is, would it be anyhow beneficial for me? You know, would it really make my life any better? Are we going to put another layer on top, and we're going to just talk about the, the movie with our friends? You know, yeah. having to talk. Oh, have you seen this movie? <laughs> yeah. Is it like that? Yeah, I like this uh, this idea too that you bring up of claiming your sovereignty. It's was an I, I an interpretation of what Ishwara Pranidhana is, or like what Ishwara is that I heard um, uh, philosophy teacher uh, Shyam Ranganath. That's how he defines Ishwara as like a state of sovereignty, and so Ishwara Pranidhana is to have that sort of reverence to or claim your sort of your sovereignty rather than it being you know surrender to god or something like that and so yeah if you maybe you could just talk a little bit more about that because i think it's such a different interpretation of of the yoga sutras that way sovereign means like king queen doesn't it Mm -hmm. yeah so Mm -hmm. the male finds his own king and the queen finds her own queen Mm um king and queen rule now, that's what the governments have been doing. It used to be that the king and the queen were caretakers or overseeing mm-hmm. the community. Mm-hmm. So ruling is one thing, but to oversee is another thing. Mm-hmm. And so Julia was talking about, isn't it, to be able to be your witness, it would be great. So for me... I call it adhikara, and that is to re- reclaim your own purusha. Mm. So you're you're saying you're saying Ishvara Panyahana that 
in God or whatever. So for me, the, the step is that I have my own purusha, my own overseer. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have the I have me that does things and may, maybe does things wrong or does them for ego or does them for that. But there's always this overseer. And rather than it being a government mind control, it's my own mind control. So, so claiming your own sovereignty is to reclaim your own mind control. Mm. So, but controlling your mind from going <laughs> out through the senses to be drawn out through the senses. So the Pratyahara is the beginning of that. But for me, it's to, to reclaim my own Purusha. So what is the own Purusha? Purusha then is that beautiful consciousness or state of awareness that's looking at Prakriti, Prakriti yeah. which is energy and matter, which it's part of anyway. So it's you're, 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 you are in charge of your energy, your matter, your body. Yeah? And so you're able to step back and watch yourself in the play of life, but also be in the play of life. And that it's your overseeing, it's your co-creating that, rather than fitting into a, a paradigm that's always been an outside form of control that tells you this is what you must do, when you do, how you do, and what you put on. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And so yoga... The yogis were always people that stood outside of society because the society that they were in, they didn't totally agree with the way it was overseen. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah, So we can't have one person overseeing a collective. So what a community is, is a community of people that have their own responsibility, their own accountability, mm-hmm. their own part within society. They have their own focus, i.e. mind control. They have their own sovereignty. They have their say. And so we had a collective council. In the council, you you discussed things. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, we can't discuss anything. Yeah? That's true. <laughs> it has to, yeah. You just have to follow the, the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's super interesting. All, all these things that we're talking about become inevitably incredibly personal in in our interactions with with uh, the other, with uh, who is also you know our same consciousness. But you know the the other in in say our case, uh, Julia and John and Russell and and Harmony. Like we we have uh, our sense of of embodiment and place and we have our gender our male and and female bodies that are communicating to us and yet we're also having grown up in a culture we have this idea of what a male or female is and we try to live up to that to make them comfortable with us at the same time, we're redesigning culture uh, consciously, trying to say, well, what would be a better way to be as a male or female with each other? And it's a big fucking mess, John. <laughs> well, yeah, what it is is because we've been in the patriarch so long. So I've just described within myself, I have a Purusha and a Prakriti. 
mm-hmm. or a Shiva and a Shakti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so often Prakriti is is then seen as being the, the play of consciousness. That's that that is the feminine creativity, the power of that. And so mm-hmm. so we have to acknowledge that within ourselves we have that beautiful yin yang, that beautiful mm-hmm. combination of both. So I mm-hmm. oversee myself and I also be my play, I be my creativity, mm-hmm. I my dance. At the same time, I'm aware because I'm a yogi that my role now as Shiva is to, or Purusha, is to create the space and hold a container for Prakriti to play. Mm-hmm. So that's what's always been bouncing. Now, Julie also has a Shiva within her and a, and a, a Shakti within her. And so we're able to bounce back and have times when I'm the one that's playing or Julia's the one that's playing. So, mm-hmm. But what men have forgotten is they've forgotten how to hold the space for their woman mm-hmm. to play. And that's what we are needing now more than anything is to hear the woman's voice, to see her colors and to see what her dance is. Mm-hmm. Because at the moment it's just war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so the, the, where where's the woman's voice? We need the woman's voice, and also the woman's point of view, which is a purusha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I I totally agree with John that if I would say what is for me the most real in male is being a protector mm-hmm. male is a protector mm-hmm. and when the male is protecting that then the woman can flourish and then she can give but if she doesn't feel protected and vulnerable there's no space for creativity there's mm-hmm. no space for flourishing there's no space blossom in in that sense and mm-hmm. now when women becomes very protective of themselves they don't have time to create they more in this place of war and then there is this balance happening mm-hmm. and i think if i could point to that that women also need to to learn the gentleness their own gentleness they even what i started to see in, in the world of Ashtanga, that women coming to reclaim their strength, mm-hmm. to bring this feeling, internal strength, but then very often we, because I'm talking also as, as one of them, stuck in a place where we're just protecting ourselves and we're just strong and we're just overdoing the practice and we might even lose our period because we are so uh, not gentle with our bodies. Mm-hmm. So we're coming to, for our strength, but our biggest strength is in gentleness and in kindness. And this is what the world now needs the most. I don't want to overuse the word love because we all need love. We created from love and this is the biggest, the biggest gift that we can receive. But if we are compassionate and if we are kind, uh, everything is melting around. But if we're just strong and protective, it basically doesn't work. I think especially with a woman. At, at least I'm talking about it. Definitely I'm talking about my own self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is something that I've observed that 
you know, that very often I, I see the Ashtangi who are coming, they're very strong. But actually inside there is such a need just for opening and crying and being embraced and being held. Mm. And when there is a when there is a possibility on the other side that the person feel that she can be embraced, the person, the woman and the man, then it, all this protection just falls apart because it's not needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then we can play. Then we can really play. Yeah. I really I really like that that sense of dance because it's also a kind of performance when you dance and there are parts that you play and you're aware of, you have an awareness of that, like a, like Nataraj is in, you know, spinning and dancing. And so there's, there's um, like Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, there's a front foot and a back foot and you go back and forth and you, you, um, you play with each other. It's, it's a, a lovely way to put it because mm-hmm. there's certainly times when, when Harmony's expectations of me are, are, um, Perhaps more than I can I can muster. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to really <clears throat> come to bat, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's not it's it's quite a um it's quite an extreme time. But it's a beautiful time to learn. It's not now and then when. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To learn we need to learn now and it's okay even if it feels hard i think it never was really easy yeah. when we <laughs> i don't know your relationship how how do you navigate it and what does it mean that we should have expectations you know we, <laughs> you, you you'd like me to perform better wouldn't you say harmony <laughs> can you can you talk about your experience at all uh, that's enough from this corner. No, no, no. Here. We're talking about <laughs> performance of ourselves. Follow up podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get into the medicinal herbs that'll what help you your performance like, later. What would you like me to be doing better? You could just on on air talk about what I could do. Do you feel like the practice itself has changed? I mean, maybe John has like a really wide perspective of this, um, because like I sort of like just looking from my my point of view that it used to be like very strong like even how Julia's describing it like you know very masculine almost in yeah. its um essence with like all the handstands and the you know very intense and I feel like it's kind of shifting and I don't know if it's just been the last couple of years or if it's been sort of this evolution over time but what's what's your viewpoint on that um I, I'm I'm lucky that I've been practicing for 35 years, so I've got yeah. quite a few years to to review. Exactly. <laughs> I've always had a a fairly uh, good balance between the masculine and feminine, mm-hmm. anyway, um, and so I was a little bit like Fred Astaire. I found my psoas rather early, and so I was quite light in my practice. Yeah, lovely uh, back then, John. um, but what's really interesting is that i i I, because of the the terminologies and things yin and yang and all that sort of stuff yin practice yang practice yeah borrowing it really when you talk yin and yang you must also talk tai chi because tai chi then is equivalent to to the sattva 
of rajas mm -hmm. and tamas. Mm -hmm. So yes, there's always a balance between the rajas and the tamas to get a sattva practice. The practice should be sattva. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, what's really interesting is that now 35 years into the practice, my practice really is quite sattva. So I need to build strength into mm -hmm. my body, which doesn't come from the asana practice anymore. Oh. So my body needs to be structurally more stabilized through external weights to strengthen it so that I'm stable. Yeah. I also noticed that after I met Harmony, my, my thighs became much stronger. <laughs> I'm a much sturdier person and a much yeah, much more of a foundation in my practice. Yeah, that's a true story. You also started doing more push-ups and pull-ups. I do more push-ups, yeah, yeah, sure. She so brought, the, she brought the man out of you, you huh? You're very well, guys. Yeah, very yeah. Well. I'm aging well, I think. Yeah. I mean, you protect protection part. Yeah, yeah. We're all different, but uh, John's, John's nature is actually very soft in the sense, like, you know, I'm, I'm, my mom was always saying, like, your character is what your um, hair is. So if the hair is <laughs> strong and, how do you say, strong, thick, thick that is the, also the what is your character is. And John's oh. character and his fine. body is very fine. They always like a baby fluff. And, and he has this. He 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 is a very gentle soul, and he can be very strong sometimes. So this is the moments when we struggle, when things go out of balance, and they do. We have to be really kind of a um, direct with one another. We always learn from these things. If if we would be totally balanced, we're probably not gonna. We, we would be not anymore on this planet. We're still learning. If we were totally balanced, then we wouldn't be on this planet. We're still learning. And that's a beautiful spot where we're going to leave it for today. We plan to record a part two with John and Julia Scott. We felt like this conversation could have gone on for another hour and a half at least. But we had some technical difficulties. So we'll have to wait for part two, which will be coming soon. And just a little reminder to sign up for my five-day Ancient Breathing Challenge. It is open now, and you can sign up to join me September 8th to the 12th. We'll be working on pranayama, on the breath work, um, every single day. And by the end, you'll have a practice that you can do on your own to relieve anxiety, to increase your energy, to get you sleeping better, and to find that balance, to create that balance in your life. So I hope that you'll join me. You can find the link in the show notes and on the on my website, harmonyslater.com. And we only have two weeks left for you to join my Inner Circle membership. I'll be closing the doors come the first week of September. So don't delay if you'd like to practice with me in person, um, connect with the recordings, the bonus episodes of the Finding Harmony podcast, uh, join in on my conferences and challenges and things. Um, please become an Inner Circle member. It'll be a great opportunity to get to know 
know you better and for you to be able to step inside and work with me more closely. So I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a hard wind and the soil.